congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus is going home. You remember from last Sunday when we read John chapter 13 and we looked back at John chapter 12, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father. That's where he belongs from all eternity in the presence of God the Father, dwelling in unapproachable light. That's where Jesus came from, and now that's where he's going to return. Jesus is going home. But he's not going alone. He's taking us with him. And that condemned criminal on the cross next to him, the believing criminal, is one of us. He's a sinful human being. He deserves punishment and death. And to that undeserving child of wrath, condemned by his own sins, Jesus says to him, Amen. I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. And that's the whole reason Jesus came. That's why he left glory in the first place. He came to get us. He came to take us back to the Father. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. What did it cost him? His whole life was suffering and humiliation. And now he is unjustly condemned, mocked, spat upon, beaten, whipped so badly that the bones of his back were exposed. Physical agony, impossible to describe in words. And yet that physical agony is nothing. It is a drop in the ocean compared to what still lies ahead. Because to bring us back to the light, Jesus must enter fully into the darkness of our sin and guilt and condemnation. Verse 44. It was now about the sixth hour. That's noon. And there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour while the sun's light failed. Why? Why this three hours of darkness? Why did the sun go out at noon? Well, it was prophesied that it would. You look back at Joel chapter 2, the verses 30 and 31. This is the prophecy. And I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. 
The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. The ancient prophecies have already told us that there will be an event of great cosmic significance that will bring about salvation for all who believe. And the darkening of the sun is God telling the world that this is earth-shaking, universe-changing, cosmically significant events that are happening. There was darkness over the whole land. The word land there in the Greek is the same word that we have in our word geography. The G-E is the the word for land or earth or world in Greek. Not just there in Jerusalem that it's dark. It's over the whole world. Of course, the other side of the world is in dark already. It's nighttime. But wherever there was daytime turned to night. We have access to ancient records that show, for instance, that there were earthquakes, the earthquakes connected to the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus. And there was darkness in the middle of the day, more than 1,000 kilometers away from Jerusalem. And so this cannot be an eclipse, as some people think, because an eclipse, for, for one thing, doesn't have last for three hours of full darkness, and an eclipse only casts a shadow on the earth of about 160 kilometers across. This is a special work of God in simply turning off the sun. Amos, in chapter 8 of his prophecy, communicates the horror of what is happening and the horror of where sin brings us, Amos 8, verses 9 and 10. And on that day, declares the Lord God, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. I will turn your feasts into mourning and all your songs into lamentation. I will bring sackcloth on every waist and boldness on every head. I will make it like the mourning for an only son. And the end of it, like a bitter day. And so the ancient prophecies, there are many more that I could cite, communicate the horror of what is happening, the horror of where sin brings us. God is life and light and joy, but sin chooses to be far from God. Sin chooses and leads to death and darkness and bitter sadness. The Proverbs say this, the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. That's the description of the life of those enslaved to sin. And Isaiah the prophet in chapter 59 of his prophecy, he describes us in our sin this way. We grope for the wall like the blind. We grope like those who have no eyes. We stumble at noon as in the twilight. And so darkness is a picture of sin in the scriptures. 
But not just that. Darkness in the scripture is also a picture of God's judgment on sin. There's something we need to understand about the character of God's judgment upon the earth. When God cleansed the world from the wickedness into which it had fallen in the time of Noah and the flood, he brought things back to the watery chaos of Genesis chapter 1. He erased everything. It was just the whole earth covered in water. Because sin perverts the creation of God, and so when God erases sin, he, he kind of reverses things, he rewinds things back to almost the beginning to make a new beginning. And that's what's happening here on the cross during these three hours of darkness. Once again, God goes back. He goes back all the way to Genesis chapter 1, before even the creation of light. The earth was dark and formless. It was darkness over the face of the deep. And so when God is working a great work of renewal and salvation, he brings us back to the beginning. And the scriptures speak repeatedly of the darkness of God's judgment on sin. Zephaniah chapter 1, the great day of the Lord is near, near and hastening fast. The sound of the day of the Lord is bitter. The mighty man cries aloud there. A day of wrath is that day, a day of darkness and anguish, a day of ruin and devastation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. I will bring distress on mankind so that they shall walk like the blind." And the Bible describes hell as the outer darkness. That's where those who love sin and refuse to give it up will be cast into the outer darkness. And so notice that both sin and judgment are described in the scriptures in terms of darkness. And this, this tells us something. Because sin is turning your back on God. Sin is saying to God, I don't want you. Sin is rejecting the light. Sin is embracing the darkness. And so judgment is God giving us up, giving us over to what we want. That's the horror of it. That in judgment, God gives us over to what we're looking for. No one is in hell against their will. Those who keep rejecting God, those who keep embracing the darkness of sin, those who keep saying, God, get out of my life, go away, I don't want you. Eventually, the judgment will be that they receive exactly what they desire, an eternity far from the light of God's presence. And so there on the cross for three hours, Jesus takes on himself the darkness of our sin and the darkness of our judgment. 
He himself has no sin. He has nothing to be judged for. And you noticed it as we read through chapter 23, how many times the Spirit calls our attention to the innocence of our Savior. Pilate, in verse 4, he says, I find no guilt in this man. Then again in verse 14, I did not find this man guilty. Verse 15, neither did Herod. Look, nothing deserving death has been done by him. And in verse 22 again, why should I crucify him? What evil has he done? I have found in him no guilt deserving death. Even the criminal on the cross calls attention to the fact that Jesus has done nothing wrong. And after Jesus dies, the centurion, that Roman military officer, he says, certainly this man was innocent. So if he was so clearly innocent, why was he subject to the darkness of sin and judgment? What well, we've been singing through Isaiah chapter 53, and Isaiah chapter 53, the verses 4, 5, and 6 in the scriptures tell us exactly what's happening here. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Oh, we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Paul says it to the Corinthians in this way, God made him who knew no sin to be sin. That's what Jesus was as he was nailed to that cross. He was the very incarnation, the very personification of your sin and my sin. And that's how God saw his beloved son at that moment to be the very physical representation of the sin of all of God's people. And God poured his wrath upon that. And there on the cross, he suffered what we deserve, an eternity condemned to darkness under God's just judgment. And he took that eternal condemnation. He took mine and yours and the eternal condemnation of an uncountable number of all of God's children and all of those never-ending hells were piled upon Christ on that cross. An uncountable number of eternal hellish agonies pressed down upon our Savior until finally, as is recorded in the other Gospels, he, he cries out, my God, my God, why? Have you forsaken me? That's the essence of hell. To be far from God. And Jesus drinks the cup of God's wrath against sin. 
to the very last drop. And it's getting on to three o'clock in the afternoon at this point. Now for more than 1,000 years, every day there has been the morning and the evening sacrifice of a lamb, first at the tabernacle, then at the temple. Jesus was crucified at nine in the morning, the time of the morning sacrifice, the morning lamb. And now at three in the afternoon, the time of the evening sacrifice, it is time for him to die as the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And now things happen very quickly. In another gospel, we learn that Jesus cries out with a loud voice, it is finished. The payment has been made. Sin has been atoned for. And all these things happen very quickly together. The curtain of the temple was torn in two. Now that curtain hung in front of the Holy of Holies. And the Holy of Holies was a picture of paradise. And the curtain was embroidered with cherubim, the guardians of God's holiness. And the curtain said to sinners, stay out. Sinners cannot enter the presence of a holy God. And that curtain was massive. The curtain in the temple at Jesus' time was probably about four inches thick. It was a massive, massive curtain. And it was ripped from top to bottom. This was the divine hand of God ripping open access back into the presence of God, saying to sinners, welcome home, child of God. Come on in. This is where you belong. And then the sun came back. It was dark from 12 to 3. It wasn't dark after that. The curtain ripped. Jesus cried out with a voice of triumph that it is finished. And the sun came back. The darkness went away. And then Jesus calling out with a loud voice. Now think about that. As as Jesus was on the cross for six hours, his body lacerated and and tortured beforehand already. The way they would hang, nail people to the cross, you would have to agonizingly try to raise yourself up a little to to try to catch your breath because the way you hung made it difficult or impossible to breathe. So every breath was fought for. Six hours he's been doing that. And yet, He rallies his strength. He gathers as much breath as he can, and he cries out with a loud voice. A voice of triumph, a voice of victory. Father, this is no longer the distant, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But this is Father. Because it is finished, because sin has been paid for, because the way to the Father is open for us, because the wrath is all gone. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Jesus' work is done. 
and he's going home. Are you in the darkness? Are you weighed down in the darkness of your sin or the consequences of your sin? Have you experienced injustice, cruelty, abuse? Have you been oppressed or are you oppressed by the darkness of the sin of others? Are you weighed down by the darkness of this broken world, the wars and the greed and the injustice and the oppression, the disease, the sickness, the brokenness, the brokenness and the hopelessness? Do you feel far from God? Do you sometimes feel that God is far from you? Give your darkness to Jesus. He is the light of the world. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. That's the gospel of Good Friday. The gospel of Good Friday comes to sinners and says, only believe. Christ took your darkness upon himself. Christ entered into your darkness to bring you to the light. Christ was forsaken by God so that you might be accepted by him. It's very simple. There are only two possibilities in life. Everyone will end up in the hands of God. Those who love sin, those who embrace sin, will find out that it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Those who love Christ, who embrace Christ, will commit their spirit and their lives into the hands of the Father. Because Christ has opened up the way back to the Father. Christ has opened up the way home. Now, what does this mean for us, believers? What does it mean for us Christians? It means that we're not scared of the dark anymore. We're not oppressed by sin. We're not afraid of sickness and disease. We do not fear wars and persecution. We do not fear death itself. Because our Savior has triumphed over all the powers of darkness on the cross. And so the Christian says, darkness and despair and death is where I used to live. But that is no longer my address. That is no longer where I belong. Because death is swallowed up in victory. Oh death, where is your victory? Oh death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We are going home. And those who are going home can say, to live is Christ. And to die is gain. Amen.